Hey everybody, this is Terrence Golden with First and Foremost, the podcast for those that are in between the dollar and the dream of owning their own business. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Crystal Davis, and we're discussing her new book, Bloom Where You Are Planted, Reflections on Servant Leadership. This book is very good. I read through it, and I wanted to get her on the phone as soon as I could to discuss it. So you might notice a difference in the audio, but if you can bear with me, I think it's great content. And let's listen in to this interview. I want you to give uh, our listeners uh, a quick bio of yourself. Okay. Well, I um, I really love engaging in teaching and facilitating, you know, leadership, change, development, and organizational culture. So with those three aspects of leadership, Servant leadership is the one that resonated most for me. Um, and so I started on the journey actually before my doctorate degree, but in terms of writing books, the first one that really spoke to servant leadership was Leading from Within, The Spirituality of Servant Leadership. And that book I wrote in 2014, which is based on my dissertation, um, which talked about spirituality and servant leadership behaviors. So the question I really looked at is, um, if people practice spirituality, and whatever that is for you, how does that relate to or not servant leadership behaviors, you know, that you might exemplify? Um, and so that that was a good work, did that with the organization, um, about 40 of their leaders, and then 200 of their followers, so that then the leader could um, take the self-assessment on, well, you know, do I practice servant leadership behaviors? And then their direct followers would take that same survey on their leader so that we could then gain the perception of what the follower thought about their leader's servant leadership behavior. Because sometimes we think those are congruent, um, yeah. Terry, and, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> and you, you really get to find out um, good information from those who you, whom you lead. Um, and then that led into the second book, Servant Leadership and Followership, Examining the Impact on Workplace Behavior. <clears throat> so we looked at the theme of the follower. Excuse <coughs> me, that's why I bought my water. Um, because what is in the research today, you know, about leadership, it's all about the leader. You know, and there's a lot of research out there that talks specifically about the leader. So the charge for the second book with Palgrave McMillan Publishers was to look at servant leadership, but from the follower perspective and how the follower viewed servant leadership. So I was fortunate to have 12 of my colleagues um, who are, you know, some of my academic colleagues and are also consultants in servant leadership write a chapter um, specific to their industry about leadership, servant leadership and followership. So in that book we have chapters on um, servant leaders and followers in the healthcare industry. And then we had Dr. Peter Ama who wrote on Madonna University in Nigeria and how they had this vision of creating a university based on servant leadership principles in a very poverty-stricken area in Africa. Um, and then we have an article on servant leadership in the retail industry. So that book spans 12 different topics and 12 industries as it relates to the follower and leader. And our premise there is that the follower and leader are really one. 
Um, and that servant leadership is something that comes from within. Whether you are the top leader, the CEO, the VP, or you're the follower, you know, you're the employee, you're the subordinate, um, and that those tenets and characteristics can show up and manifest, right, in whatever uh, position you are in the organization. And so then moving into this third book, it was more conversational style, and I hope you probably felt that or got a feel for that, Terrence, because I had – the first two are, are quite um, academic in nature. And so my beloved sister says, Crystal, we know um, about you being very academic and, and your writing is great, but would you so kindly this time – write a book just for the everyday person. And I thought about that, and I was like, okay, great, because, you know, you um, are in a place and and sometimes are are, um, very narrowly focused there, Terrence, and it does take other people to um, pull you out and kind of remind you. And she said, Mm -hmm. I think these are great concepts, um, right? And if it was a more conversational style, those who are not so academic would get it. And I think that's the target audience that, you know, should be reached. And yeah. so the the blogs are, and the book is the third book, Bloom Where You Are Planted. I did take that academic framework in that I, you know, used academic books and I quoted the bibliography and references for further suggested reading. But just the tone of every topic, it's just more like we're engaging in a fireside chat about that concept with servant leadership and how it shows up in the workplace. And then sometimes I um, then cap that with a personal story, right, about how it impacted my own life. So, yeah. well, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about servant leadership and, and um, that being the focus in the last three books. So, to, so now I want to know, like, do you have a, a working or ha- working definition, or have you fully defined in your own mind your own definition, or, or, or you know of the best definition for service? Well, and that's a great question, um, Terrence, because they, there are so many concepts um, that can be related to servant leadership, particularly when my call to action is servant leadership every day in every way, right? Servant leadership can show up in so many ways. But uh, academically, right, as an academician, they, uh, you know, it is nice if you kind of define servant leadership for yourself. Um, and, like, just from the perspective that you will operate, you know, you will write about it, um, you will teach about it. And so, yes, I have a definition. Um, and it's just come from the um, combination of the last, um, 10 or 12 years, right, of reading it, listening, teaching, and just for me saying, you know, what does servant leadership mean to me? Um, and so I came up with the definition, and I have it here, actually, Terrence, it's, it's in question number three. Please do read it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> okay, great, yeah. Okay, so I um, say servant leadership is a smart leadership approach with the moral and ethical center to lead by serving others. Servant leaders model behaviors that equip and inspire others towards personal greatness. They see people as humans, acknowledging their perspectives as legitimate and meaningful. Servant leadership represents a new consciousness and self-awareness that is necessary for engaging others more authentically. Yeah, I, I really love that. Um, I, 
I think that that really does encompass. And when I think about what you're saying, I think that that really does encompass what I think servant leadership is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great. Yeah. I I want to I want to kind of come. I want to read this quote to you in in uh, in the fact that I think really honestly, um, servant leadership gets a knock nowadays. I don't think mm-hmm. people really know what it is, or mm-hmm. they know what it is, but they don't really want to face that <laughs> because servant mm-hmm. leadership isn't a, isn't an easy task. And you say that in the book. Um, but I want to read you this quote from Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. He says, leadership is a choice, not a rank. Um, in the context, he was talking about how many people just kind of see leadership as something that they want to get into so that they can kind of be pa- over, overbearing and overpowering people mm-hmm. or, or lead or not really lead them, but just to be over them. Um, so what do you think of that? That well, first of all, I love Simon, and of course I get his daily, uh, and he calls it a blog, but really it's like a daily thought, right, a daily reflection mm-hmm. to think on, and so yeah, I get his every morning, so when I saw that, I thought that's really nice, and it's very much in alignment with servant leadership <clears throat> and, with, and with what I think is servant leadership. As a matter of fact, I've just recently um, been taking my certification with the Kansas Leadership Center in Wichita, Kansas, and they, it is also a servant leadership um, program, and, and we talked about this, um, parents, because sometimes it's just language and semantics, mm-hmm. so when I go into workplaces, sometimes rather than saying servant leadership, I will say the serving leader. Or I, I will say to be of resource or to be useful. So sometimes in corporations, you know, you, it's that language of servant leadership that people are like, hmm, I don't know how that fits. You know, I don't know how that feels. Um, so I am really able to shift that and, and say the serving leader or other words or language that we still get at the core, right, of what servant leadership is. So in alignment really with what Simon says, at the Kansas Leadership Center, what I know and believe and I think is in alignment with Simon is, is five little quick points that they believe when you say and when he says leadership is a choice, not a rank. And that is, is that I believe, you know, leadership is an activity, not a position. Mm. Anyone can lead anytime, anywhere. Wow. It starts with you and you must engage others. The fourth part of that is your purpose must be clear, right, for who you're leading. And the fifth one, and very simple realization, it's risky. Leadership is risky. It is. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those things. Um, those are, thank you for that. That's um, uh, right off the bat when you started going down the list, I'm like, oh, there's some good things in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just prepare for this podcast and, and read through your book. It was, there was so much um, screaming at me. Uh, so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good stuff in there, um, but I, it can maybe kind of lead to this question. Who did you, when you started writing this book, who did you intend it for, um, yeah. and who's going to benefit for giving this a read? Yes. Yeah. I intended it, I think when I started writing, I, my original intention, um, Karen, to, to just be quite honest, was to write about what I was learning and how much I was enjoying it, you know, and, and the reflections and thinking about it and the aha moments, I just felt like, wow, I should write this down. You know, maybe someone will listen. And so <laughs> I started originally on LinkedIn, just kind of doing articles, you know, on LinkedIn. We could do a little post there on LinkedIn. 
And so a part of it was branding, you know, and getting my message out there about servant leadership and understanding, right, as an entrepreneur that you have to keep your content fresh, you know, keep it in front of the people who follow you on LinkedIn or social media, um, and then relevant. And I just felt like what I was reading in Leadership Today was so relevant. And, of course, the five books that this book is, is based on were are, uh, you know, the top servant leadership books in the movement today. So any one of these five that I talk about in this book, I, I heartily suggest, you know, that people also pick up if they are interested in starting to develop their leadership library. And so as my uh, writing continued, uh, it did, and, and you'll see even in the writing, it took um, ebbs and flows and shifts to um, speaking to, like, boards of directors. Then I was speaking about nonprofit organizations, right, and we talked about some about the health industry and my experience in working with Fresenius. So um, when I say it's intended for, and, and I even have many stories in there, and you probably caught some of those here, from a parent perspective. So servant leadership and the core competencies and some of these key characteristics are so valuable even as a parent or a significant other. So when it boils down to it, I think anyone in any position can benefit from the key characteristics of the servant leader or, or the 53 ideas in this book. Um, and I didn't write it with the intention um, to read it from front to back straight through. Um, you can do that. Yeah. But um, you can also just look in the table of contents. And if there's something that resonates with you this day, and it might be a morning reading, and, and more importantly, Terrence, it could be, say it's at your desk and you're having a stressful day or something's coming up at, as it relates to teamwork or collaboration and, and, you know, you're frustrated, you could go right to that chapter. Read it, and they're all for two to four minute reads. So I purposely, you know, didn't want to make them long reads. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might be able to turn to that page and get a nugget or an idea um, or a thought or the call to action that can help you even in the moment, right? In the moment. So that's why I say it's an everyday kind of living document because it's, you can use it from moment to moment. You know, it can be a nice read over the weekend, and then it can be one that's at your desk. That's all the, the front of it is bent open because you've read it so much. You know, you're flipping back and <laughs> forth. There's highlight, you know, markings all in it. I have my proof um, that has, you know, little um, post-it notes all throughout. So it, for me, it's even been great to go back through and be reminded because servant leaders understand that you don't you you never arrive right parents you not never arrive and like okay well I've learned everything there's to learn about a servant leader so I'm a servant leader it's just like this day to day consistent you know mindful awareness of how you lead and how you interact with people how you interact with your family you know your children um your church your community so I think it's very apropos for everyone that's great. Um, how do you uh, how did you come up with the title uh, Bloom Where You're Planted? That's really interesting. That's more of a private story. I was trying to think of how I was going to answer that because part of me, and I think part of when you live in a small rural town like ours, Junction City, um, 
and you want to do great things. I think it was part of my dreaming about how I will build CJD Consulting Solutions, you know, and how I am creating this legacy um, for Elijah, for my son, you know, and just for my business and what we want to do in the world. And my thought was, oh, gosh, I would love to get to a bigger city. You know, I would love to get to a metropolitan city um, and have um, opportunity, you know, for more organizations and corporations. Um, and it dawned on me because, of course, and you probably know, we, we do tons of community service and civic engagement in mm-hmm. Junction City. And it occurred to me one evening, and as I was thinking about the title, I had wrote a couple down, you know, kind of marinating over them, and it just hit me, bloom where you're planted. So it's like wherever you are, wherever you are in the world, and for me at that time it was, you know, rural hometown versus a more metropolitan city, that you can blossom and you can help others to blossom right where you are, right where you are. Yeah. So it doesn't have to necessarily be New York, right, or Chicago. No. Right here in Kansas. And it's, yeah, just, it's just as powerful, right, because people are everywhere. And people everywhere want to be heard. They want to be encouraged. You know, they want to do things that are meaningful. Um, so, yeah, I thought, yeah, bloom where I am planted. I'm right here in Junction City, and this is where I'm blooming, right? This is where I'm blossoming. Yeah. I love that. That's That's a great concept, and I think a lot of times people – um, allow the place they are to dictate mm-hmm. what's going to go on with them. And I think that's all, that's great that you were able to um, escape that, in, even in your mind, your thinking, mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 this can be bigger. This can be, I don't really need that, those other places. And let's say age of the Internet, you can reach, you can reach another country yes. by, in, in the next 10 minutes, and it can become viral, and, and you're, you know, you you really... Um, made an impact across the world. Well, and Terrence, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it didn't happen overnight, right? So I always, it's always so interesting to me that, you know, when I'm called into corporations or nonprofits, they say, well, here's Dr. Davis and she's the subject matter expert on servant leadership. And I smile on my head and say, nope, I'm learning just like everyone else. Um, you know, even that thought about the title, because I had such a desire to, you know, get to a bigger city. So it, it was also for me kind of just, you know, think about it, reflect on it, um, and then make a different decision. So, you know, it did require me also to be mindful and aware of, you know, what I'm doing here, how it impacts people, organizations, and young people here, and, and then how that can be anywhere I am, right? Mm-hmm. So that didn't happen overnight, but, you know, process through it, <laughs> process through it. <laughs> That's right. That's and, you know, kept moving forward and just knowing that we were doing impact, particularly with these three projects we just completed this summer. And it's like, see, right here, right now, uh, we're able to do a lot of stuff that made great impact on people and on young people. Yeah. So. That's great. Uh, let's talk about some of the concepts in your book. I, there's just so many for I couldn't we couldn't get it on the box one. So I picked a few. Um uh, I want to talk to you about trust because that mm-hmm. that was one of the ones that I I felt very uh, connected to. Uh what's the best way to nurture confidence in our relationship? Because you do talk about trust and and, and actually the speed of trust mm-hmm. um and what trust <laughs> what trust actually gives you uh, and, and in there, you're talking about in our relationships, what's the best way to nurture the confidence 
in yourself and let other people feel confident about you in our relationship mm -hmm. to build trust. <clears throat> it's really good because, you know, we have, The Seed of Trust is an excellent book, <clears throat> and I love the various um, ways that um, Stephen Covey approaches trust. Because he approaches it from an individual and a team, you know, or organizational perspective, um, and from a family and, uh, perspective as well, which is what I love. And, you know, what he says is if we um, and how we can build confidence in ourselves and in others is that when someone believes in you and trusts you, what does that mean? So, if you know, understanding what that means um, helps you to know how that confidence is built. And so it's when we can help um, someone rise to a challenge and they trust you enough to help, um, and I always say gently push you or gently bring you along, um, and that, that definitely has to have some trust as a foundation. Also, there's a trust factor when we can help people to discover their unseen potential. Right? And it's like people, we all, we say all the time to our friends or whatever, like, oh, you're really good at that. You know, you should consider mm -hmm. doing that. Or you're really great at that. Wow. You know, I'm not that good at that, but I see that you are. And it really encourages and totally builds confidence when you can help people discover their own potential that they may not see, um, but they trust you enough to see. And, the, you know, then to encourage them into it or to lean into it so that they are greater what already exists in them. And then also the third point that I just think is important, and there's a lot of points, but these three are just really um, that we are making contributions that benefit us all. So if we're moving from this kind of ego-centered um, perspective or mindset to what I'm doing today, how does that benefit me and my family, or how does that benefit me and my child's school, or me in the church, or me in the community. You know, how does that uh, benefit all of us? Hmm. Um, because people who are trusted, really, they, they become models, you know, mentors. I mean, a lot of them are even seen as heroes. And, and we are, you know, we love people that we can trust. Um, and we know that that brings out the best in people. If I trust you and you trust me or we're in the workplace or we're in the community, um, the trust changes the dynamics of our interaction, right? I'm open. I'm vulnerable. I can talk to you. I feel that I can open up. Um, and then people, this is a great one here, people will live up to the trust that you bestow upon them. Right, wow. because they know and believe and feel good about your trust in them, and and the, the essential goodness in everyone um, does not want to mess that up, um, Terrence. And then people want to return that trust, right? They feel that from you, they want to return that, um, and then they run by the power of the trust that you have extended them. It's almost like you give them gas, you give them energy, um, and they feel trusted and they can move out into the world and do maybe something that they, they're good at but have been fearful of trying. Um, but that trust, I think, gives them the energy and the wherewithal to say, wow, yeah, I'm going to step out on faith or I'm just going to step out and do that. I'm going to step out and try it. Yeah, I think it means a lot when somebody says, hey, you know, Oh, I trust you to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, one of the things you were saying, you, some of your research in the book, you're talking about how, how trust is dropped off. And, and, and it really is telling, right? It's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a gaping hole in our work environment that, you know, we have 
situations where the bosses don't trust the employees, the employees don't trust the boss, that kind of thing. But if you're a, let's say you're a boss uh, or you're you own a business and you want to create or recreate trust, let mm-hmm. I want to talk about trust, uh, uh, creating trust in the team. What are what are a few things, one or two things that we can do to really develop trust with our employees? Because I'm already signing the check, right? I'm already paying mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some of the other ways that I, I know I just have a sense that the trust that's lost isn't about paychecks and things. It's something else. How can we build that? Well, that is an excellent question because I look at it, in, and there's two ways, and there's several ways, but, but the one way that we are always in servant leadership, um, the, the ways in which we discuss servant leadership or build trust or talk about these core competencies is, Terrence, that we're always going to start with self. Um, because, and I think some people who look at servant leadership, you know, might have the perception that, oh, they're always doing something for someone else, right, or always doing stuff outside of themselves and mm-hmm. never doing anything for them. So we always want to clarify, you know, make sure that people understand when we talk about servant leadership, you cannot give to others. You cannot encourage, empower others, trust others, um, give others the benefit of the doubt if you are not trusting of yourself or, or, you know, taking care of yourself or, you know, in, in the Bible, as we would say, you know, keeping your cup full mm-hmm. so that you can be um, available um, to others and, and be great at it. You know, I know a lot of um, mothers and parents, you know, we run around, we're doing so much for our kids and mothers, you know, at the end of the day, oh, gosh, I'm really tired. I just want to drop in the bed. So mm-hmm. remembering that a part of servant leadership is always being mindful and aware of taking care of self so that you can um, be available for others. So there's, in the book, we talk about how trust um, affects the bottom line and even how you can create trust in the organization. So there's 13 behaviors, and I won't talk about them all, uh, but a few of them that help lend into your question, right, about how to um, build trust in organizations. Um, and it's, first of all, to talk straight to yourself. So that means don't say, oh, I'm worthless or I've blown it. Mm-hmm. Tell yourself the truth and do what you need to do imp- to improve. Demonstrate respect for yourself. Treat yourself with as much respect as you would someone else, right? Create transparency in your life. This is a good one. Be open and honest with yourself about where you are today and work on where you want to be better tomorrow. Um, show loyalty. Deliver results, get better, practice accountability. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is another good one. Keep commitment, right? Make sure that if you commit to do something for yourself or for others, that you keep that commitment. So what um, Stephen Colby is really inviting us to do as servant leaders is to first of all extend trust to ourselves. So if we can trust our own inner guidance and our own instincts, that then works outward from us to others, you know, and to everyone we come into contact with. So while others may say, well, do this, do that, do, you know, a checklist of 10 or 15 things to do, what we're inviting you to do in servant leadership and what Kobe is is alluding to here is if you do the self-work, right, Mm. it's automatically going to be beneficial, to everyone you work with, live with, and come into contact with. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, so 
Let's talk about. I was just that kind of had a dual question. So, what about broken trust? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, um, if, if we've owned our own business and we've had employees and, and somehow we've broken a promise or broken a trust, broken a commitment, done those things? What's the ground floor of of rebuilding that? And in, in your mind, one thing that's the ground floor, um, and, and how to get up from there. Well, I think when we talk about that, and there's some good stuff in um, the book, is first of all, how we can do that organizationally, right? And, and they call it participative management. And again, you know, you could call it servant leadership, but semantics, if you want people to hear it, you know, saying um, it's participative leadership where um, people – and servant leaders are able to trust one another. They encourage one another. They involve and enable their employees um, to trust. Then what they find in the workplace is improved customer service, right, improved delivery of service, mm-hmm. increased creativity and innovation, which is powerful, and increased productivity and the competitive advantage for the organization. So, I mean, how do you get there, right? How do you see these types of great bottom line results, which are in terms of soft skills, people, you know, getting along to cohesive teams that are successful, that ultimately impacts the bottom line, Terrence, right? Right. Corporations always want to know, how is that going to impact the bottom line? Um, You know, and and it definitely helps to increase the bottom line. When people are creative at work, innovative, they're getting along, they have this trust established across the workplace, the the creativity and the innovation is off the charts. Like Mm -hmm. people, I mean, it's just like a place where creativity can breed and like innovation can happen and in this type of like energy, in this type of culture. Um, And so when we know that... um, that trust is broken, you know, it affects that trust being brought out in people. You know, it changes the dynamics of the workplace. Um, people are untrusting. Um, they, you know, they, there's less care um, in the workplace. Um, and it just makes for what Jeff Smith called in his book Insidious Workplace. Wow. And he said it's just, and he used some really uh, harsh words, and I thought about that. Like the workplace is treacherous, right, mm. where this undermining of everything you do is the existing, and no one has care or respect or kindness toward one another. Who would want to work in that environment every single day, <laughs> Terrence? Like, wow, you know. I could see where um, the stress is high. Um, you know, people say, I hate my job. You know, they hate getting up. It's the same routine. You get up every morning to go somewhere. They don't feel like they're making any impact. Their creativity is not, you know, recognized. Their voice is not heard. There's no shared power. Um, and so they feel, you know, for lack of a better term, they feel useless in the mm-hmm. workplace. And, you know, I just read some statistics today actually getting ready for our interview where 73% of people in the workplace don't feel that the culture of their in place of employment encourages innovation, creativity, um, their best ideas to come forth. 
Um, so, you know, we look at it, it's almost machine-like um, with the hierarchy and the way that leadership is. You know, just do it this way, do it our way, the highway. We don't want any innovative ideas from you. Keep those to yourself, you know. Go to lunch, <laughs> clock back in, the same thing. Yes. Um, yes. And, and this is why we find people are just so dissatisfied in the workplace, and there is such a huge lack of trust. And that environment is just um, costly. It's costly in so many ways um, to the people that work there, to the company, and to the company's bottom line results. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I also saw an article where it was talking about people that don't enjoy their job are sick more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it, you go, wow, that that is all, you know, some of the things that people are sick with sometimes comes out of the angst of working around you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's get into authentic conversations because I feel like, you know, any book out there worth its weight about leadership or management always talks about self-management first. Mm-hmm. I mean, there should be at least one chapter in the book mm-hmm. about self-management. I, I tell people, like, you read a book about management or leadership and it doesn't have self-management in it, throw it away. Yes, right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's probably not the book for you. But when it comes to authentic conversation, the, no, the notion of self-leadership, is the foundation. Tell us about that, the, the notion of leading self. Well, this is this was a fantastic book um, that I uh, read for a class, um, Authentic Conversations, Moving from Manipulation to Truth and Commitment by Jamie Shokir and uh, Marin. And it was such a, it was for a class, and it was really a great book um, about, the type of relationships that exist in the workplace today. And I really loved how they um, titled them, you know, the parent-child culture in organizations, right, where the leaders or the CEOs, the VPs, the higher-ups are seen as the parents, right, and then everyone else, the employees and subordinates are seen as the children. And um, it makes for really a difficult um, workplace because no one feels empowered or feels as an adult, you know, an everyday grown-up person that can make decisions, right, that can, that are self-aware, that are self-disciplined, um, that lead themselves, you know, emotionally aware, um, and can make good decisions. And, and you probably saw the story I talked about on um, page 112. And it's really interesting. The morning I was writing this reflection, mm-hmm. I saw a video on Facebook. And there, you know, a guy was an employee of McDonald's, and he was throwing the, the dirty, you know, the used priest in the sewer drain. And, and a gentleman actually happened to be, you know, walking past and saw him and started recording it. And he's like, well, um, you know, why are you doing that? You know, why are you throwing that in the sewer drain? And he said, hey, man, my boss told me to do it. I'm just following orders, right? Yeah. That is so indicative of a adult-child relationship in the workplace. And here, you know, this guy, Burger King employee, making $7.50 an hour, right? It's probably like, okay, whatever. I, you know, I'm just here to work every day. I'm, you know, I'm not even getting paid um, that much. I'm, you know, thinking about how I'm going to tie in. So does he care about, in this, even in this case, the environment, right, and how yeah. that grease in the sewer affects the environment? Because he hasn't been given the opportunity to think um, as an adult, right, and he is an adult to say, even on his own, 
if the boss said that to him and he and he were able to say, you know, um, throwing this used oil in the sewer is not probably not. I'm sure not company policy. I'm certain McDonald's would not, you know, have liked that to happen. Uh, but then more than that, for him to have the ability to say on his own as an adult, like this is for me not right. It's not right according to the policies right. and procedures, and it's not even right to me ethically, right and morally yes. to do this. Um, and so rather than stand up to his boss and say that, you know, he poured the oil in the sewer drain. So <clears throat> this happens in so many different kinds of ways. That was a simple example, but it happens in so uh, many uh, ways that um, we have to move from that childlike mentality into adults where, um, and part of this, when you're asking me how do we move from that parent-child dynamic to one that is adult to adult culture. And part of that is honestly acknowledging the difficult issues and naming what the reality is. So sometimes parents, and you, you, I'm sure you're familiar with this, is there's a big elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to name the elephant, right? Everyone's <laughs> dancing around the pink elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying to move from this parent-child to adult-adult relationship in the workplace. Let's be real about what the reality is, however harsh it is. Um, and then here's a part that's really um, important and what we, you know, we are just seeing happen now in the workplace. State your contribution to the difficulty and acknowledge what harm you've caused. So in that instance, an in example of, of the McDonald employee, for the employee to possibly have spoken up as an adult, right, and said something to his boss, for his boss to then acknowledge and say, you know what, man, since he said, man, I was wrong, and I appreciate that you, you know, said that to me, and it is harmful for us to throw the shoes oil in the sewer. Um, and then to state those risks, um, you know, and to suggest just ways forward. Now, some of those ways forward might not work out, but to allow that to be a possibility for discussion is instantly going to shift, right, the environment. Um, and then frame those choices about how we can engage in the future without continuing to refer referring to the problems of the past. So, like, how can we move forward from here and not be in this conscience like we always did it that way, or this is what happened in the past, or, you know, this is how it worked before, but to just move into this forward-thinking mindset that can move us from this child child. Because, you know, all of us are going to say, well, we did it that way. We used to do it that way. Or she always said do it like this or do it like that. And so if we, if we can leave that energy behind as we start to move forward, and move into this new way of communicating, because that's really what it is, Karen. It's communicating to each other as adults in the workplace. Um, we, we can find so much. Um, the culture would be, it would be a 360. The culture could be a 360 there. Wow. And one of the things I was going to say is, you know, uh, I really love this this particular chapter on, a, you know, authentic conversations. I went over it a few times, and, Really, uh, one of the thoughts that came to mind was like, man, I want you to talk about how to break the culture out of yourself. So mm-hmm. let's say you're in an environment that's, that's very, uh, toxic, uh, there's that parent to child, or parent to child dynamic going on, um, it wears on you. And then let's say you just happen to get another job 
where that environment is adult to adult, Mm-hmm. There is a learning curve that is so mm-hmm. huge. Yes. You have to break out. You almost have to like break out uh, uh, of that that place where I what I say really matters. Oh, okay. You know, right. And I just love that. And I, I, I really, I mean, if you could speak to that right now, that'd be awesome. If not, I understand. But well, I, no, I, I think that's great because when you, you know, particularly if you've been in a workplace where you haven't been valued, your voice hasn't been heard, you know, and you get to a new place where it's like, oh, heaven has dropped down. Oh, my gosh. You mean I do have a voice? You mean this idea that I talk for is, is a cool idea? Like you might even use it? Um, I think that in and of itself, that's encouraging, right? Because people have been so downtrodden or, you know, beat down with organizational cultures that don't work. That initial kind of acceptance is exciting in and of itself, right, Terrence? Um, And then um, I I think it always comes down to, and we talk about this in the book, is that it does require, and this is hard work. No one's saying it's easy at all, um, Terrence, Mm -hmm. but it is a keen self-awareness and a willing to be, you know willingness to be honest and vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, and those are hard things to do, particularly if you've done those things right and your trust has been broken, and wow. then you're like, oh heck, you know, they broke my trust, they don't care to hear me, my voice is not hurt, you know, why should I even care anymore? Right. Um, but it matters, it, it definitely matters, and the work of it um, is all your intention. So when we think about, and again, this is the inner kind of thing, you know, this is the inner heart thing, not so much an inner head thing. Um, And it's like, what's your intention? Is your intention to show up at the workplace um, and be a leader who, um, you know, encourages everyone, you build your team up, your team is able to all work together, or is it to come to work every day and boss people around, right, and tell people what to do? (laughs) Um, And to treat people as if they don't have their own inner knowledge and awareness or ideas about how things should be done. See, training someone, Terrence, for something they don't know is one thing, okay? And that can be done. You can train me um, on anything. You know, you can probably train me to fix a motor in a car. And if I'm trained enough, I could probably learn how to do that. But what you can't train on is people's intentions. How, what, what's your intention behind that? What's your motive? That's another word. You know, what agenda do you have behind that? And then, and then, and then is that agenda um, something that up, uplifts or tears down? Right. And then, you know, that goes even deeper to um, someone who may have negative intentions or don't care or, you know, continually operates from an ego-centered perspective. Um, you, you know, the next thing about that is, are you happy? Are you really happy? Because I worked at an organization, and one of the ladies, you know, as they say, was a victim, a bystander, and a cynic in the organization, right? Uh, that one who's always going to say, nope, that doesn't work. Nope, we already tried that. You know, well, we already had that leadership program. And so we were doing a leadership program, and I sensed that from her, you know, immediately throughout the day. And so at lunch, you know, we had a chance to talk and just chit-chatting, and I said, wow, you've been here a long time. Are you happy here? And she paused for a minute, and she's like, you know, I don't think any manager or supervisor or leader in this place has ever asked me that. Because clearly she wasn't happy, Terrence. You know, there were some underlying issues where she wasn't happy. So 
so then it becomes um, this intention. Do you want to be in a place every day where you're not happy? And then that negative energy that comes out, you know, it infects the whole culture, the whole group, the whole room. You know, or do you want to be in a place where you feel good every day? So now I'm not even asking about anybody else. I'm asking about how you feel mm-hmm. inside every day, right? And so we, we, we're not invited to do that type of work every day. Because um, in society, it's so busy, right? We're busy, 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 busy. Well, I saw this um, card um, tag on a bumper that said, please stop the glorification of busy, right? Because now it's so glorified. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, girl, I'm busy. Oh, yeah, I'm so busy. Um, So it's like that kind of um, energy and consciousness really pulls us away from the deeper inner work that servant leaders are doing and that we must do, right, if we want this revolution, if we want this um, movement, to really infiltrate the workplace today and and make the the changes that are so uh, they're dire. We're, we're in a dire position, I, I think, Terrence, in the workplace today. Um, even in our political scene, just in in society, we're in a place where we have to get back to um, basics. Um, get back to being respectful to one mm-hmm. another. Just mm-hmm. basic human civility. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about that in servant leadership. As a matter of fact, I think the book next on deck is going to be about servant leadership and civility and what mm-hmm. that looks like. Um, and we've moved far away from that, um, Terrence. And I think servant leadership, the serving leader, um, all of these thoughts on this leadership where we want to move to a shared approach is yeah. beckoning, beckoning us back to this way of being. Wow. I just love that. That is just, that's some good, good stuff there. My final question to you, and, uh, I just want to, uh, thank, first thank you for coming on. Uh, the book is called Bloom Where You Are Planted, and it will be out September 11th. Yes, September Tuesday. 11th, Tuesday. Yay, very exciting. And, uh, we're so, I'm so excited for you, and I know your support team is so excited, and the people around you, your, your tribe is so excited mm-hmm. about this. Um, but the final question I have for you is, uh, in terms of serving leadership, what should be first and foremost in the minds of entrepreneurs and leaders? That is a great question. And I think, um, you know, if we want to move to this place, we talked about this in our conversation today, where we want to create sustainable economies, like our economy, if we want to heal the earth, and if we just want to be a beneficial presence um, in the world, it calls us, this is the call to action, Karen, if people are willing to do the inner work, we have the potential to heal the world and everything in it. But the key is to start with ourselves and then to help transform, um, you know, people, the workplace, society, um, person by person, project by project. And that's what I mean earlier about we're not naive in this movement to think that you'll take a couple of servant leadership workshops, you know, you'll read a couple of servant leadership books, um, and then, okay, bam, I'm a servant leader. No, it's just like this ongoing, everyday, consistent mindfulness about how you lead, um, and it happens person to person. And for me, what I love is project by project. So every project I undertake, it's like, what, how is this, what's the why of it? Mm-hmm. How is this of service? 
Um, and how is it going to benefit the greater world community? So today it might be kids. Tomorrow it might be the elderly. You know, the next day it might be an organization. Um, and so this is what I call activism in action. Everything we do, no matter how simple or insignificant it may seem to us, when done by many of us, right, over the course of time, uh, wow, it can have an enormous impact. Um, so, I, And I believe the revolution is here. It's in progress. And what we're inviting ourselves to do is really create a kinder, safer, and more loving, um, meaningful world. And we're doing that, um, parents, through an awakened consciousness. Right, so we've planted the seed, and and I believe it's begun to take root in in the hearts of so many people in the workplace, outside of the workplace, for how we treat one another. And so I think it's a new leadership, and it's not really that new because you can find underpinnings of servant leadership as far back as in the Bible um, and with Jesus. Um, So I think we're just moving to a place in the 21st century where we can go back to our roots, you know, and remember, um, as human beings, our, you know, our care and concern um, for another, um, one another. And I just think servant leadership at this moment in time provides a framework for us to do that, a framework where I think people can lean into and say, yes, this feels good, this feels better, this makes my life, my, my life at the workplace, my life at home, my life in the community better. Wow. And it's, you know, makes every, it makes for more caring organizations and more caring people. And so I know you said, um, last, our last time, our radio uh, interview, which was very nice, our podcast, you asked me at the end, what book should entrepreneurs be reading? Well, I have a great book for you today, Tara. So I'm hoping you ask me that question. <laughs> yeah, you know I love books, so come on. <laughs> so that book is Bloom Where You Are Planted, Reflections on Servant Leadership. I think this would be a great book to ask your collection. Awesome. I, I can agree with you on that wholeheartedly. <laughs> Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. It's always a blessing to have you. Thank and, you. Uh, I hope that this blesses other entrepreneurs and people that are thinking about their leadership and how they're doing that.